0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under as I just smoke my leg on the table. Um, my name's Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by Will Muirden. How is it going tonight, Will? We got to spend some time together today which was excellent. I'm knackered because I was up at 4.30 but how was your experience with the cow
1: pokes on the week off? Yes, long long day uh, as we get into the Sunday evenings for us. But it's been a good one. It was another great day of football. It was good to be able to watch it with you. Uh, Unfortunately, we'll get into things, but your team didn't uh, come away with the chocolates as we had both hoped. So that was disappointing. But that early slot that we did get up for, definitely fucking worthwhile. Awesome. Loved it.
0: Yeah. Real good, and you say didn't get the chocolates, like the chocolates, there was no cacao, there was no milk, there was no sugar, there was nothing, they got reamed on that sense. Just a quick note, I do have to kind of say, like whilst I was, and I know we're on the clock here, we want to get through this quick, I'm knackered, it's Sunday nights, kids go back to school tomorrow. Uh, But like, because I've spent a bit of time with you today, English Jess, right, She's, she's doing a bit of a triathlon, She's scared of sharks because obviously if you're not from Australia or even if you are, you're horrified that there are fish in the ocean that can munch your legs off. And She literally spent hours today like searching up shark attacks, shark sightings around the state. Um, I don't know. We've gone to a weird place around sharks and shark attacks in our family, in our household, and I don't know if I like it. But that's kind of how I feel about what happened to Miami today. Um, Just a predator, giant predator, sleek and in form, just made an absolute mockery of the Canes.
1: Can you do me a favor and make sure that the night before the triathlon, you just chucked jaws on? Just like it's a classic (laughs) film. It, it, it's a real it's a great one so just get that in there and that can only help things I'm sure
0: obviously she's just quivering in bed right now um, all right and that sounded a little more sexual I mean anyway uh, <laughs> let's move on we've got a lot to get to today we've got 360 so you get up to date with all the news from this week's games of episode we've got a tiny bit of news to get to nothing too special game recaps the rewind section Aussies in action and then of course we get to find out if any bold predictions hit or if we've lost more money this week so let's dive in <laughs> All right, so more chaos
1: in college football, Will, and we liked it. Which one did you enjoy the most? I think, as I mentioned in the leadoff, there was the three early games where there was a half-hour as they were all coming to a conclusion, and I think that probably ended up being like an hour with the uh, four overtimes we got in the Red River rivalry, but Texas A&M getting over the top of Florida, Missouri in a last-minute stand over LSU, and then Oklahoma doing it in four overtimes, all on at the same time, all absolutely incredible to watch. It was the sort of stuff that... I mean you and I are both giggling about at like six o'clock in the morning or whenever it is just like enjoying every play kind of texting each other as it all breaks down it it was really really good fun to watch so those three there for me absolute highlight really loved it really really enjoyed it
0: awesome uh in this weekend's game of footballs you had to get turnovers because outside of two teams which we'll get to in a second the two that the two powers that look really comfortable No one played any defense, even, you know, we talk about the SEC and we've spoken about them being vaunted in their defensive stuff, but they were no good today. The two teams that did, Georgia and Clemson, looked really, really comfortable, um, almost on both sides of the ball, but had runaway victories and looked like the ones in control of both the ACC and certainly the SEC East.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. They were both super impressive uh, and put their case forward to be both number one and two. Uh, And and we're going to see Georgia-Alabama this coming weekend. So it's going to be a short-lived debate around who deserves that number two spot between Georgia and Alabama. But they both looked exceptional on both sides of the ball. So that's really good for them. Uh, And then on the Alabama game uh, and their lack of defense, that's probably something that they would be a little bit concerned about. But on the flip side of that, Lane Kiffin's got it going on at Old Miss. I mean, he, he's come up short in a couple of instances with the matchups against Ole Miss, uh, sorry, Florida and Alabama. And he's come close and, and he's probably overachieving what we both expected at this time uh, from the start of the year. So it's going to be fun to watch and I'm really happy to see that injected into what is already a loaded SEC West.
0: And a few other little bits and pieces, a few tidbits we've touched on most, but lots of up and downs as we run out of clock here. TCU can't score after being out to score last week. Neither can LSU, or they can't play defense at least, so they can put up points, they can't play defense. And the Big 12 as a whole, you cannot predict a game in that space. We will talk to all this in just a moment. But that is your 360 wrap of college football for week number six. All right, quick bit of news before we dive in some more detail. Baylor are on a hiatus due to the COVID. Um, And yeah, I I mean, I don't really have too much more on that. Is there anything else newsworthy? Um, They will be on leave until we find out how or why or otherwise. But Houston kicked off their season. Uh, That would be the only other notable team that probably played. But outside of that, I don't know.
1: Yeah, they, they finally got it going. This Baylor one's a bit weird. I know they're coming up against Oklahoma State, scheduled for this coming Saturday. And at this stage, it's still going ahead. I'm not holding my breath. Uh, Baylor is on an indefinite pause of football activity at the moment, whatever that means.
0: Okay. All right, let's get into some game recaps. We're going to start in the unpredictable Big 12. We had the Red River Showdown Shootout. I keep seeing Showdown. I think Shootout is the correct term. Are we staying with Shootout?
1: I like Shootout. It, it, it's got to be Shootout.
0: Okay, we're going Shootout. Okay, Oklahoma Outlast, Texas. 53 to 48 um, that went to four overtime periods. Uh, I'll play you a little bit of something in a second, but we're going to hear the last three plays, which included a Spencer Rattler touchdown, a Spencer Rattler two-point conversion, and then Sam Ellinger burning the last chance for the Horns. The two point conversion. Sprints out, timing uh, throw. I hate those sprint outs, but it played off for Spencer Rattler today. wide
1: up.
0: Yeah, Trey Brown picks off Sam Ellinger, trying to hit Tariq Black in an over route. There was no separation, um, and Trey Brown peels off and ices the game for the Horns. Now, before I, I am going to pass to you in just a second, but for the love of sweet baby Mormon Jesus, wherever we're at, back on that religion thing. If I hear how Sam Ellinger wanted to be the quarterback for Texas as a small child, again, and he's still got the effing sign in his garage from when he signed with Texas, and I still see video of him saying, hey, I wish I was Chris Sims. I'm gonna punch someone in the fucking face. Also, Gus Johnson, the guy who you just heard there, is the worst commentator in college football. He is so bad. His, I don't know, his blood pressure must go through the roof every Saturday. He called, and I quote, Sam Ellinger, a hero, a machine, a Texan. What does that even mean? Like, he has been on my radar for a few weeks, but today just put me over the top. He needs to jog on.
1: I am going to go out on a limb here and say I like him. (laughs) <laughs> I in, I enjoyed his call today. I thought the energy was there. And, it's
0: always there. He gets excited yeah, on two yard run,
1: which is brilliant, especially no, when it's it's, it's five a.m. for us and oh. you're trying to manufacture something in my household. I felt the electricity coming through my TV set, so I was all for him in that call. Yeah, I all thought it was going was for a- Texas the
0: whole time, which I'm okay with, but like just come out and say it. Like he's like, "Oh, Sam's back in the game, Super Sam." Like they just rock hard for this dude
1: yeah i mean he, he is a good story and and i'm with you like you get sick of hearing it because he's now played what four years so we've been listening to four years of this shit as well um and it is a bit played out but you have to kind of tip your hat to the dude like he did everything he could for this program today to try and get them over the line wasn't enough in the end but you and i were both joking we're like we need to get this guy out here blocking kicks we need to get this guy out here on defense, like disrupting things. He's doing everything else for them. So w- why not just kind of throw that at him as well? He, he was exceptional. Yes. He let them down in the end. Uh, that last play that we heard, they heard the footage of, I don't know who, which receiver he was throwing it to. That was how bad yeah. he missed that throw. But uh, like, you can't knock the bloke going, going in at that point, he, he, was exceptional he led from the front he is that kind of rah-rah dude who runs with that physical nature as well which i know you and i love to see at the college level and and most people do It's, it's kind of endearing because it's someone who would rather try and take the hit and run a linebacker over than than hit the slide Um,
0: let's just let's just keep the fanboy sam ellinger stuff down just a second (laughs) as we take if we take you through the game chronologically so a sloppy first half for both teams texas struggled to run the ball and protect sam ellinger at all And, and i was really critical of the oklahoma pass rush but they were really good really really good um and texas had a punt blocked as well so they're probably winning on special teams and winning um on passing downs was the oklahoma defense
1: I don't think, but it wasn't just passing downs either. I think that that, in run support as well, that D line did a really good job of containing them outside of Sam Ellinger, who kind of had a few big runs. None of the other stable running backs that they had were able to get out and get loose in this one. I think the Oklahoma D line for the first three and a half quarters were really (laughs) a, a difference maker.
0: Yeah, Christian Jones. Um, was getting destroyed on that Texas O-line. We were talking about it. I'm just like, man, they're getting beaten like a drum here. Like, and they kept getting behind the sticks. And as good as Sam Ellinger is, you're asking him to turn a, a second and 17 into with a QB power on second down and try and get like 11 yards out of it and then throw on third and nine and hope that you know he can make a play. Like It was really, really hard him to do that and and spencer rattler got hooked in the before halftime and then came back into the game and settled right down and, and had a really good third quarter as they pushed the lead out to 14 points and then held that lead until under seven minutes to go and then things started to get a this is when crazy kicked in lincoln riley calls a third down pass up by seven at this stage so Texas have already got um one touchdown back but it left Sam Ellinger a minute and change because that pass was incomplete. Um, and they then go and score with 14 seconds left, which if they'd taken the 30 seconds off by running the ball, the game would have been over at that point. I'm not going to kill Lincoln Riley for that. We know that this game is all about being aggressive on the offensive side. And if you can if you can win the game, go and win it there. And he tried to do that. As it turned out, he gets away with it. But uh, Sam Ellinger, one minute and change, marches from his own 16 and goes down and scores. Then we get to overtime, and things got even weirder as teams traded touchdowns and the first two overtime periods. Then Michael Dicker had a field goal attempt blocked, and I thought, well, this is curtains here, especially as Oklahoma moved the ball easily into field goal range. And then this Burkitt, who they talked about hasn't missed, like doesn't miss his money, shanks from 30-odd yards, and... We continue until you hear Sp- Spencer Rattler ice it in the fourth overtime period.
1: Yeah, I mean hindsight is twenty twenty, so I'm not going to rag on Lincoln Riley for that call. Like that dude catches that pass, it's game over. Uh, there, it, it, it's a tough one. Yes, the the percentages probably say run the ball, but. I like the call in being aggressive and backing in your playmakers to get it done, especially when things are starting to roll at that point. Second half, it was starting to open up a little bit more. So mm-hmm. uh, not against that, but yeah, it was it was certainly exciting, that, that overtime. I love college overtime. I think we, I heard a lot today about people who are kind of a bit on the fence of it. A lot of people are saying it's much better than the pro version. Uh, the, the game callers in that one were actually saying, you know, the the sport itself doesn't really lend itself to yeah, I thought that was having an interesting overtime. comment.
0: I thought that was an I, interesting
1: comment. I, I thought it was odd too
0: because Joe Flat, I, I think, was the guy who said it, and I was like, and he's got some quite interesting insights as a QB. I thought he was interesting listening to him and how you approach um, overtime, particularly as a quarterback. Yeah, I found that as an interesting, comment. absolutely I, I, take on it. But yeah, good pickup by you.
1: I love the college overtime like the, the drama that it brings I, I understand the kind of player safety thing because when you're starting to run into like four overtimes this game's burnt for like another hour or whatever it is with dudes on the field getting gas putting putting more wear and tear on themselves so I, I understand that but it's a great spectacle for us at home as like a just kind of sitting down no no dog in the fight just really enjoying it so yeah it was a, it was a good one a classic so the which which game- we which we said it would not be. Like, going into this, <laughs> yeah. we were like,
0: eh. <laughs> Well, the longest game in Red River shootout history, and that one does go to Oklahoma. Uh, and I think, to be fair, on balance, Oklahoma were the better team for most of the day. Their pass rush just disappeared towards the end for some reason. I'm not quite sure what happened there. But, uh, yeah, well done to Oklahoma. Does that keep them in the running for the Big 12, or where does this Put them and Texas I think it's just a mess now
1: isn't it yeah well the Big 12 is trying to do its best NFC East impersonation like mm-hmm. the championship mm-hmm. game is going to be held with like a four win team like two four <laughs> win teams and there's going to be like massive countbacks you're going to have like a beautiful mind sort of whiteboard deal trying to figure out who the fuck it is that gets like the head-to-head and then the point differential and all of that gear just to find out who's going to be playing well that's what it looks like at the moment so I'm not ruling anyone out except Kansas Kansas are out <laughs>
0: Both have two Big 12 losses, is that right? No, yeah, Oklahoma's got two. Um,
1: is that right? And Texas now have two as well, yes. And Texas now have two of them.
0: Well. okay. Um, K-State beat TCU 21-14. to Not exactly an offensive masterpiece by either team. And I thought if TCU could keep Kansas State to 21 points, which they did, that Max Duggan would be able to generate enough offense to win this one, especially with Skylar Thompson out of this game. Both teams struggled horrendously on third down. TCU could only muster four yards per pass. Deuce Vaughn was kept in check also for the Wildcats. their one big offensive weapon. And the difference in this one was a pick six, which didn't get the referee call that maybe it could have. Um, but that was the difference in this one. And, and K-State, uh, having spoken about the Big 12, K-State are the only other undefeated with Okie State, I believe, as well, in the Big 12. So... That's where we sit. Any thoughts, any great takeaways on this one? The nine points that TCU were given to uh, win this game was not even close by the boys in Vegas.
1: I mean, can someone explain to me what is happening with the Big 12 having like a defensive dour encounter, 21 to 14 with a pick six being the difference in it, and then I go over to the SEC where we're supposed to have these elite defensive units and they're going for over a combined 100 points in multiple games. (laughs) Like four of the leading five passes in the country are coming out of the SEC. I don't get it. I I don't know what's happened. This pandemic has made everything sick. So that was crazy to me. This game wasn't the offensive firepower spectacle you expect from a Big 12 one. Will Howard, as you said, was stepping in for Skylar Thompson and immediately I was feeling pretty bad about my bet. (laughs) I was like, this is not what I need. He, start, plays, oh, he started the game something like 2 of 10 for 12 yards or something through the first half. He had one big run that he took for like 80 yards. He took his remaining 12 carries on the day for six. So <laughs> it, it really kind of speaks. He, he had that one chunk play, but they were disciplined. Uh, that uh, was it Chris Kleeman, the head boy out at Kansas State, runs a very disciplined program and when you're not seeing that across the college landscape, when you're seeing penalties galore and turnovers and, and yep. all of that sort of gear, it really speaks volumes uh, for what he's been able to instill in the program. So they've done well to get this one. It it, it certainly wasn't better than the Red River shootout. Like if, if we told no, you to watch it was this one not, and you I got watch that, that. Right. like that's, that's our bad. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... Kansas State now go to 3-0 and in conference, unbeaten in conference. They're only lost coming to a powerful sunbelt uh, Arkansas State unit. And they really look to be a, a genuine contender within the Big 12.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think they're going to be a tough out for anyone. They play good defense and hopefully can get some better quarterback play. Moving along to Iowa State and Texas Tech, 31-15 to 15 in here to the Cyclones. The usual suspects got involved. Brock Purdy, Brees Hall controlled the Clones offense and as a result kind of paced the game and controlled it more or less the whole way through. Nothing spectacular for Iowa State, um, but Texas Tech in a bit of a hole
1: here. Yeah, I think the only thing I'm happy about with this one is that it played out as we expected. Like everything else in the Big Twelves, kind of that scene in uh, one of the Marvel films, whatever, where shit's just like flying around left, right and center, but they're in like slow-mo and just kind of doing their thing. <laughs> like it, that They were able to play to the script and not really surprise us with what we saw there. Iowa State are another one, similar to Kansas State, who are, who are going to be good and competing and need to take this opportunity with uh, a couple of two-loss Oklahoma Texas teams.
0: Absolutely. Okay, that's it for the Big 12. Bit lighter on. There was a few teams out and then the COVID situ. So let's move on to the SEC. Uh, If there is one thing guaranteed in the SEC, it's that if we don't preview it, it's going to be super entertaining. We didn't give much time to this game here, but Missouri uh, LSU was a high-scoring back-and-forth game and finished in pretty epic fashion.
1: Got to take a look at Marshall. Brennan's going to roll right. Looking in that direction. Throws right, and it's knocked away. Incomplete. Amazing.
0: That was the fourth down play. Their fourth attempt. The LSU offense had inside their own one yard line to finish the game. Uh, the we will get to that in a second. But this one was tight the whole way. Twelve lead changes in this game between these two teams. Apparently, if you're unsure whether your offense can get going, just go and play LSU because Missouri went for nearly 600 yards, 50% on third downs. They turned it over three times, but um, Connor Baselak had over 400 yards passing, four touchdowns, and this is from an offense that I thought was pretty bad. They haven't shown anything particularly sparky over the first few weeks, And, and then they just came out and turned it on against what are supposed to be, you know, an absolutely, certainly from a recruiting standpoint, an elite, uh, I guess, talent in terms of that LSU defense. But let's start with that goal line stand to close out the game for Missouri. LSU had no timeouts uh, and they took a really long time. This was their one play to get down there. Talk us through, you know, we had the questionable catch by Terrence Marshall that got them to the one yard line. And then you had four plays Uh, inside that one yard line did you like the play calls Uh, what were your thoughts on that series for the Bayou Bengals
1: yeah so first and goal at the one and momentum's with them they've just marched the field they had a big catch it might have been broken slightly by the whole review of the catch and, and it's probably a bit of a theme of the week that we might touch on a little bit later about the amount of booth review that I noticed this week and and the impact that that can have on the momentum of, of stuff. But anyway, they're down at the one. Uh, they try and punch it in the first one, unsuccessful, so it was stuffed quite well by that Missouri defense. They kind of then go in some weird hurry-up, let's get back up to the line. not And run the same play. And then run the exact same thing and get the same result. And, and that was a bit odd. So after that, I believe they took a timeout. Yeah. So that then puts them at third and goal At they might even be like one and a half now. They might have been yeah. kicked back and this is where you, uh, you and I are talking, what do you do here? At this point, they're out of timeouts. So if they were to run it and be unsuccessful, that last play becomes incredibly dicey to be, even be able to get it off. So it becomes much more of a pass look there. They go for that and again, unsuccessful. It was a uh, nice, easy
0: swat down. By yeah. a linebacker, like mate, like it looked like a bit of an RPO, but it was probably it was more play action to be fair, because he was never handing the ball off, um, and a back tried to
1: slip out, but no way denied straight up. Correct. And then like this whole time you're going, you know, it's team at the one, they're going to score, they're going to score, but then when you get to fourth down, you're like, well, anything can happen now. Like, there's one yeah, play yeah. either way, and sure enough, they run what is it like a slant on the outside.
0: Yeah, they ran like an out route by Terrence Mar- and Ter- like I don't know why they didn't go to Terrence
1: Marshall. Early. Like you've got four plays, throw him four jump balls.
0: Yeah, like the, he's going to pull the, down
1: one. He's had eleven catches for two hundred and thirty-five yards and three touchdowns on the yeah. day so far. Just feed the man.
0: You, you've got you've got this list, and we saw it from Texas, particularly in the Texas Tech game and I remember West Virginia running it they load one side they empty the box and and it's a three read progression I'm not saying you run that play but you've got your you know short yardage goal to go best plays that you've got and and you wait I know you want to punch it in but why wait that long to to get your num your best receiver and probably the best player on the field a look there I just didn't really understand the play call yeah
1: I, I don't know you, hindsight again and and you're not going you, to like, exactly I like the run plays that they, they went for. You've just got to execute. Your big boys up front need yeah. to do their job. They should be yeah. able to get a yard. If they're not getting that push, then that's on them. And, and that's what we saw. They had two runs at that, weren't able to do that. That's why they lose. Uh, so it was awesome. It, it was a great one because if they had gone in and scored, I guess that's what you expect at that point. And, and yeah, the fact yeah. that they're able to make that goal line stand, four plays, literally at the one, like when it was a turnover of at, at downs, they, they had like, we were like well, they had to sneak out of their end zone so as to not give up a uh, safety and they probably pushed yeah. it forward over a yard. Had it been the flip yeah. side, they would have been all right, you know. So <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it, it was it was a really cool finish to what well, uh, a game that I guess neither of us expected to blow up like this. I mean, you and I are both fairly deep in this college football gear. I have no fucking idea who Connor Bazelak is. <laughs> like I'd never heard that name before in my life and he's come in against the reigning national champions I'll call them that they're obviously not anywhere near the caliber that they were last year but I'm going to call them that and goes 29 of 34 and over 400 yards and four touchdowns <laughs> against that unit like that's fucking mind-blowing where's that come from? That, that's stuff like legends are made of so if if he can go on and have another big game next one we've got Something special brewing in Missouri on our hands. A new elite.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll wait and see on that because this LSU defense, Dave Aranda's obviously out uh, being the head man at uh, Baylor now, but this LSU defense looks bad. Out of position, not aligned correctly, uh, missing like busted assignments. And then I know, you know. You, you, you're missing a couple of guys probably, and you had all those d- dudes declare early. And I get all that sort of stuff, but I'm not making excuses anymore because you've got the talent out there. You just don't have a defensive coordinator, nor do you have an offensive coach that looks like he knows what he's doing anymore. Like Ed Orgeron, I- I've never been a massive fan. And I know I'm just going to pat myself on the back here because I don't get too much this week. Most of the games that I picked were wrong. So uh, I've never been a massive Ed Orgeron fan and you could just see towards the end of the game, he's clapping away, he's positive, but there's no critical or doesn't appear to be much critical thinking. There doesn't appear to be much conversation and dialogue with his players about what he wants, what he's seeing. And uh, maybe that's not his role, but since they've lost those two coordinators, he's gone back and LSU have taken a massive, massive step back. So Missouri get away from LSU in a wild one here, 45 to 41. Whew, let's keep on going through. So the number four team in the country, Florida, take on or head with all their Kyles, who we found out during the broadcast that Kyle Trask is actually, his comes from a, a very committed uh, family of Aggie supporters, and he's named after Kyle Field. And this is how this one wrapped up was number three last week but switch places with Georgia Gators trying to get to three and all they'll run it here on second and ten Davis cuts back but he's thrown down and fumbled the ball and it's picked up by Leal. Buddy Johnson forced the fumble Liel gives A&M its first takeaway of the game. Stinks
1: here in the fourth. They have they made the play too I mean it's a great job by Buddy Johnson man you got a feel for Malik Davis. He's had such a nice game today. Get a little loose with that football on the left arm.
0: Yeah, Malik Davis has the ball knocked loose by Buddy Johnson. With about three and a half minutes to go, Texas A&M are able to work the ball down into field goal range and take off an appropriate amount of time as well. And Kellen Mond did a really, really good job of that before their kicker, Small, comes onto the field and hits to... Send the Kyle Field supporters, of which there were ample humans in that building, into Rapture as they beat the number four team in the country, 41 to 38. This was a really, really good one. More of a shootout than I expected. I didn't think this would be close. I did not think Texas A&M had this game in them, but they did. Come on, was good whilst Kyle Trask was looking to book himself a ticket to the Heisman Awards Ceremony. I think that may be in the rearview mirror now. Will, is this a situation, is this Texas A&M playing to their maximum potential? This is their ceiling or is this where they should have been all year with the ability to push up into a higher echelon of SEC?
1: this is where I think they should have been. This is what I was hoping to see coming into the year. This is all that hype that I was bringing about Texas A&M that I was hoping to see that I thought was under the surface there. All boiling to the top. And it it was great to see it now, but all equally frustrating that it has to come out now. Like, they're three games in, and and this is the point we've seen after they've already laid an egg against an Alabama team. Yes, it's a weird year, and you don't have the right prep and all of that. I I can understand that. But it was awesome to see them step up and, and it was particularly cool to see kellen mond play the best game of his career and yeah it's not his young career because like this is his last year going around now and he was incredibly impressive he was quite efficient with what he did his numbers were really good uh going for over 300 yards and, and three touchdowns through the air he made really good decisions uh when when to throw the ball away, when to to dump it off, uh, or when to take shots. And that was kind of something that he hasn't been great at. Like he his decision-making has left let him down significantly to this point in his career. So for him to kind of step up against the number four team in the country uh, was awesome to see. Kyle Trask, on the other hand, you say his, his Heisman race is run and done now. I, I wouldn't rule him out. I mean... No. if you if, if especially looking at his numbers in this game like we have been talking about this Florida side and their fatal flaw for a number of weeks now and that it's on the defensive side of the ball that they need to be able to stop teams and they've given up 41 points here including 17 in the last quarter that's going to fucking cost you games like Kyle Trask has gone for over 300 himself he's thrown four touchdowns his QB rating is up there with the best in all quarterbacks this week like he's had himself a good game but defensively if you're going to get scored on like that then you're certainly at risk and, and I think that's probably part of what we were talking about earlier with Alabama and seeing them concede as many as they did that's a, a real concern for uh, these sorts of sides and it's going to give you issues. So Florida would be super disappointed with that. Um, and, and especially losing that fumble at the end there is it, just the killer, it, it's real. Big Twelve defense of old, like I, I keep <laughs> saying this, but it's like you just give up points, but you just kind of rather than form tackling, you try and rip the ball out every time and because get if you, that exactly right. If you, you jump routes, yeah, you're going to get burnt, but if you can make the pick, then that's a stop straight away, and you're looking okay. That's what it seems to be in the SEC at the moment. Like yeah. it, it's 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 crazy.
0: Coming back to that Florida defense, I think their pass rush was really bad, and Kellen Mond for the I've been very critical of Kellen Mond, particularly around his. Desire to get out of the pocket quickly. He's an athletic dude, and you would often see this from young guys, uh, is when their first read is covered or first two reads are covered, then they're out because they just start feeling that. Heat. He had confidence to just sit back in that pocket, and he took that extra time. He actually looked like a quarterback looking to pass the football rather than a running back who passes a little bit which is what he has been in the past. So I was really impressed with just his pocket poise, which I hadn't seen from him. And that's always something that has turned me away from Texas A&M. And you say Florida should be disappointed, but this loss probably has been coming for a couple of weeks almost. Yeah, they look fantastic early, but it was driven, like you said, by that offense uh old miss they gave up some yards and some points i didn't think texas a&m would be the team to be able to do it i still think that they are limited and i think that is the best they have to offer they're not i don't think florida is the fourth best team in the country but texas a&m certainly aren't either i don't even know if i believe that they're they're probably 10 11 12 so 10 to 15 for me i just don't believe that they're a top 10 team and they need everything to go right. And today it did. Outside of Isaiah Spiller putting the ball on the carpet at a critical point um, in the second half as well, like they, th- that is as good as they get. Um, and I, I don't think they're going to really do too much. They're going to beat the teams they should beat, but I think they've, they've fired their shot this year.
1: I see a world where we finish the season with both of those teams ranked in the top 10 or at the very least in my eyes, I think both of yeah, those teams I mean, deserve to be in the top 10.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's more questions around Florida now than a I mean, I'm, that's probably an obvious statement, but Florida now, we've seen this back-to-back weeks not being able to get this pass rush right, this defensive backfield, which has historically been so good with all their good DBs um is just not there and they're not sticky and they got beaten on some big 50 50 balls today and that just hasn't happened in the past for florida they've controlled things up front and controlled things on the back end as well so florida in a little bit of trouble here more trouble than you would expect from a number four team uh as we continue in the SEC, Alabama edge away from Ole Miss in, again, what you've said is a fantastically entertaining game, 63-48. to 48. I think that scoreline, I mean, it was blown out a little bit late in the piece. Uh, but Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, to me, are not... I don't want to say a sleeping giant because I don't know how sleeping they are. And I think people will be aware of Lane Kiffin and the fact that they believe he's a good coach. He's certainly a good recruiter. And the Ole Miss uh, faithful will be supporting him to all ends mac jones was incredibly efficient today 28 of 32 for 417 yards two touchdowns and Najee harris who has to get probably a sticker later in the episode over 200 yards five tds is absolutely bananas um and you know alabama's offense did everything they needed to do the storyline as we've Kind of said it because I was keeping a closer eye on the Clemson Miami game. But the storyline is Alabama's defense. What is it? Is it a positional thing? Is it a structural thing? Is it a scheme thing? Uh, where did they get caught out in this one?
1: It was all over the shop. I think it's a combination of all of the above. They're they really you're just not seeing what you used to see from you used to seeing from this Alabama outfit. There there were time ty- there were bl- blown assignments that we'd seen. Mm. There was poor tackling. There was miscommunication all over the shop. It's just not stuff that you see from a Nick Saban defense. So to see uh, Ole Miss come in there and and obviously Lane Kiffin has an intricate understanding of the inside of that Alabama program, how they prepare for games, what's going through Nick Saban's mind in order to come up against him, and he's able to use that to his advantage. Like he knows the sorts of things and like a lot of what we like about the sport is that it's a game of chess with, with human pieces. And he has uh, an intimate knowledge of his opponent's strategies in that chess match. He's been in that war room with him. So I, I think that was kind of a, an interesting edge that in, in this one seem to enable him to kind of do some, do some interesting stuff and, and really, uh, put together a few drives that were able to exploit some of the, the things that perhaps Alabama aren't, aren't expecting or aren't built very well for.
0: Well, they had a lot of success going unbalanced, and by unbalanced, I mean they would set up with three receivers to one side, so the pass strength would be to, say, the left-hand side of the field, and then they'd have their... You know, they might have an inline tight end on the right, and and there's a whole lot of vacant land out there, and they were just running off tackle, and because they're running that tempo offense, that Alabama defense couldn't get aligned correctly, and they just got outflanked. They had no one setting the edge out there, and that happened multiple times, and it wasn't just on running plays. Uh, we saw it on a fourth and six as well where they leaked that um, uh, running back out of the backfield on sort of a, a bit of a semi-designed pick play, but it was really a one-read running back uh, wheel route that got them that fourth and six late in the game. So I know we're talking Lane Kiffin here and it's all good, but they still conceded 63 points. They still got beaten by Alabama and they still gave up a whole lot of yards to some really, really good athletes. So there's still a long way to go for this Lane Kiffin defense. And maybe there's, you know, that's the talent gap. Maybe that talent gap is, you know, whatever that is, a 15 point margin.
1: If we're putting together some sort of mid-season like, team of players we've enjoyed watching, I've got Matt right. right up in there. He, yeah. He's he's awesome, and he was awesome again today against this defense. Like He was the architect of a lot of this uh, that we see from him. He, he just has that it factor that you want to see from a quarterback who's willing to get after it with his legs and then also let it loose and then back it up like there's some people who kind of do that and it it all goes to water on them and then they turn to shit he just he is a baller he's definitely a baller
0: but he's not out there chirping away either he's just getting it done and working really i've got a lot of time for him he to me like he matt corral is what kellen mond is to you i think i think that's where (laughs) we're at i think I'm really enjoying watching him play, and I'm going to really enjoy watching Ole Miss over the next few weeks. But again, Alabama still win here, and they'll get things tidied up. I've got no doubt about that because Nick Saban is a defensive guy. He hates it when de- his defense go bad, and they'll know about it this week. Lastly, I will say one quick point, um, and that is a round that Nick Saban suggested. I don't know if he actually accused, but it's suggested that um, Old Miss was stealing defensive signs. And I was like, ooh, got that one off your mate, Bill Belichick, did you? <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently stealing signals. So we'll see how that plays out over the next few days. I expect some good tweets from uh, from Lane Kiffin on the back of this. Almost All right, like let's there. keep on moving. Uh, Auburn, 30, dodge a huge, gigantic, Mario-sized bullet against Arkansas. They get through that one, 30 to 28. But the play of this game has to be this bloody Joe Nix like backwards pass fumble attempted spike whatever it was who dropped the ball worse on this one Bo Nix or the replay official
1: oh they're hand in hand equally as terrible as each other there Arkansas have been straight robbed of a a victory here if if you look at the play uh, it's incredible and it's one of those ones where I think they got it wrong because they just hadn't seen it before. It's the sort of shit that happens so rarely that you can kind of understand that they get it wrong until you're like, actually, no, these guys get paid for this. That's their job. Get it fucking right. Yeah. And the the play in question here was uh, a last-second uh, spike of the ball. So Auburn were marching the ball down uh, a down by one point within field goal range, at no timeouts left, so they had to clock the ball uh, under centre, <laughs> Ball gets snapped there's a fumble on the exchange so the ball's actually spilt out and live at this point bo nix picks it up off the deck turns backwards and then proceeds to clock the ball at which point he's thrown the ball backwards so it's a live ball as soon as the ball's been fumbled he's then thrown it backwards which is essentially a lateral or throwing, fumbling the ball backwards so it's a live ball and one of the Arkansas players makes a heads-up play and gets on top of it. Obviously, it's been blown dead earlier than it should have. So after he's thrown it into the deck on the field, they've blown it dead. So at any point there, whenever they've done that, it's tough to then go and give the ball to the other team because we're all taught as soon as the whistle go, like you play to the whistle. Yeah, And if you then start kind of giving things out above and beyond after the whistle's been played, then the the line starts to get really blurred there. So that's the only thing that I can kind of of understand on this one. But outside of that, these guys should know what they're doing there. That should have been allowed to play out. Arkansas should have won this football game.
0: I mean, it's just one of these things where you... I mean, I find clocking the ball... spiking the ball an odd rule in and of itself i know it's a but to me you've got to actually run a play and, and throw the ball and maybe throw it out of bounds i don't know what you do but like it's intentional grounding it's definitely intentional grounding. that's what you're doing you're burning the ball to stop the clock and i know it's there for that reason but then when you fumble that exchange apparently your right to then clock the ball is gone null and void and i had no idea that that was even the case but that is true and from there it should have been a fumble like you said and Bill Lamonier who was on the call um who's the official's expert and you know they'll he's got all these commendations from you know whoever NFL officials and anyway um he said that yeah it was a backwards pass therefore a fumble therefore a live ball um he got done for intentional grounding on the play i think didn't he Yes, um, in the end.
1: So loss of down, 10-second runoff, but there was enough time there that that didn't cost them the game.
0: And then they went and kicked the field goal. So, yeah, I think Sam Pittman will have some questions for the uh, SEC officials in that one. All right, let's keep on trucking. Georgia distanced themselves from Tennessee. Actually, I've got, I've got to take one more cheap shot at Auburn here. So, Joe Nix, sort your shit out. Georgia distanced themselves from Tennessee, 44-21. to 21. Tennessee were up at halftime in this one. Uh, they didn't score after halftime, but how did Georgia get away from the Vols here, Will?
1: Really turning themselves into a bit of a second-half operator here, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, as it was a tight matchup up until the half. Uh, Tennessee, however, were playing lights out that first half. I know you, you and I were talking about this, and we, you were kind of saying, what's, what's going on with Tennessee? Is this a game here? They, they can't keep this up. Like the, yeah. the plays that they were running, the passes that Jarrett Guarantano was making, and then the, the catches that on the, the flip side of that to, to score these touchdowns were really, really good. I think it was Josh Palmer, the receiver for Tennessee. It it was elite playmaking, and there's only so much of that you can rely on to be able to run with a team. Like Georgia seemed to be not going through the motions, but doing their thing like these good teams do, like your Clemson, like your Alabama, that are kind of almost machine-like in how they move the ball down the field, where Tennessee felt like they were more kind of taking their shots and they were coming off, and that was cool But when you're only up by three points at the half, that's not going to get it done for you, and it it proved to be the case. Georgia then just continued to roll. I was impressed with uh, Stetson Bennett, uh, who continues to kind of really overachieve on almost everyone's expectations, I suppose. Uh, he, He was not supposed to be the guy at Georgia, but whilst his numbers weren't elite, and we're kind of getting used to seeing this from Georgia quarterbacks, he... He was very good at executing what he needed to do, and and he made a couple of really big plays. He didn't turn the ball over, uh, and then after that, they're able to lean on Samir White and a number of other running backs that they've got there to just kind of grind this Tennessee team down uh, and get the win in the second half. And and this is a team who was missing one of their starting defensive linemen with one of the worst targeting calls, <laughs> not. Not as in, like, it's a bad targeted call, shouldn't have been called. Bad targeted call is, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Like, take three steps after he's got rid of the ball and then give him a headbutt with your helmet to his helmet. What? Were you getting bored or something? Like, this was two minutes into the game, and he's like, actually, I'm not feeling it today. I'm just going to go take a seat. I'm just going to go headbutt the quarterback. It was just dumb. And so too much pre-workout, perhaps, before the game, had him really amped up. But that kills you. Like you, you are a key, yeah. you're a starting defensive lineman for your unit. Now they're down a rotation, and and that's the sort of shit that kind of grinds you down in the second half against a team like Georgia. Yep, South
0: Carolina beat Vin Vandy, and said Vindy Vandy forty-one to seven. Mississippi State are done here after beating LSU. They go down to Kentucky twenty-four to two. So they get a safety. That's the only score they put on the board. Zero touchdowns, six interceptions for the Bulldogs. Not a good look for the air raid. And Kentucky's defense and run game got this one done again.
1: If I do not see a headline somewhere on the internet of the air raid is grounded, then I will eat my hat. <laughs> like it, it's it's low. Hang, it's got to be out there. I'm certain. Yeah, of that, that is low hanging fruit.
0: Um, yeah, I mean. I don't know where you go from here with... And then um, Mike Leach came out and said that they need to purge the locker room of the malcontent or something. And I was like, oh, God, now he's dumping it on the players, which he's got a history of doing as well. Um, And this could get ugly quickly. It's pretty easy to buy in when you get that first good win. But now your offense is struggling to do anything in two weeks against not well beaters by any means like if you're serious about things Mississippi State you're you're going in there and you're beating some of these teams or certainly scoring an offensive touchdown maybe I don't know (laughs) Um, so yeah I I think Kylan Hill in the air raids getting horribly misused Uh, he only had what 17 yards or something on the ground today on a handful of, of runs of the ball and I know that's not what Mike Leach does but Gee, you had one of the best running backs that is out of system here, and, and they're out of sorts completely. All right, let's move on to the ACC. The middle class of the ACC, I say the middle class, the lower middle class, kind of beat up on each other in the early slot. The headliner was Miami Clemson. The Canes get blown out in this one, 42-17. Your initial takes on
1: this game, Will? Well, the initial take is that Clemson are really good. Like, and we're not covering anything new here, but this was their first real test on the year, coming up against another top 10 unit. We both thought that they would get out on top. Like that They are a better team than Miami. We were hoping for it to be a tight contest. And Clemson just didn't allow that to be the case. They were just so surgical in their approach uh, from, from the start of the game, where they just dial up these quick-hitting passes that... Got Trevor Lawrence into a rhythm. There was literally nothing that Miami could do. Like they were kind of tearing off, and whether it's an RPO or just a quick hit straight, like one one step drop out of the pocket. They're just everything is about getting offensive leverage and, and getting things moving forward for them. And then on the back of that, they have the playmakers to support that. All they need is a a missed tackle here or there, and. Then they're off to the races. They're good enough for that. So you need to be playing perfectly all the time. And even when you're doing that, like they can, they they keep moving the ball. It was hard to fault what Miami was doing early on, and yet they still could not stop this powerful Clemson side. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence think... is, is so special. At what he yeah, does. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was frustrating to watch because I actually thought I've
0: been pretty critical of Blake Baker as a play call. I actually thought he called a really good game. They had. Clemson in multiple third and longs Um, and you know and particularly on that first drive when they went for it on fourth and they ran like an old school fire zone blitz dropping the defensive end out Quincy Roche who almost had a pick on the play but then you line up your nose tackle who's staring at the ball off sides and then Clemson get a first down march down and that was almost game over at that point like it was It was done almost there and then. And and there was just consistent penalties, which we've seen. I, I was critical last year of Manny Diaz and I'm trying not to overreact too much because I didn't expect Miami to go in there and win this game. Like I actually think 42 to 17 makes it look better than what it was for Miami. Clemson... Could have blown this out by more. I think they had Kirk Herbstreet's son in there. They had Brett Venables, both his kids in there to finish the game. And they were still like making plays. We still struggled to get it into the end zone. So, again, Blake Baker, really good against uh, that, that Clemson offense. But then you'd get him in third and long, and they just went screen pass and made the Miami linebackers try and chase in space against Travis Etienne. And that's not a good recipe for any team in the nation and it must be so nice to just be able to go you know what I can go third and nine and we've got multiple plays in the kit bag that we can run these awkward screens like multiple screens going both ways um, and just get dudes loose and then you know they've had multiple quarterbacks playing the game it was it was a rough watch in lots of ways and I don't think that Miami actually did too much wrong defensively They just really... They didn't... I mean, Travis Etienne can't run the ball. They cannot run the ball. Their offensive line gets murked on run plays, but then they go into this RPO game and they just, you know, control the pace of the game. And Trevor Lawrence does make such good decisions, as you said. On the flip side of that, Miami's offense got a schooling today. Rhett Lashley um, has had a terrible game plan. He went in with a terrible game plan. Brett Venables had his measure from start to finish uh they they had the talent on the outside to go one-on-one press man coverage the whole way and derek king couldn't hit the long ball and even if he did those uh defensive backs those cornerbacks were sticky they had eyes on the ball they made plays on the ball and got multiple interceptions so i was really impressed with clemson's defense it was just a really really bad game plan and there was very little to get excited about as a Miami fan, and for the third bye week in a row, they come out all sorts of wrong. Game plan felt wrong, execution wasn't there, tackling was poor, and there were penalties. So Manny Diaz looked like it. they got out coached again, and that's a worrying sign for the Canes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, Miami has made their bread from running the football. in in the first three wins on the year. Like, they'd been putting up over 200 bills on the ground. In this one, they were kept under 90 yards on the ground. Cameron Harris only got eight carries on the day. Like, yeah, he only got the three yards. But at some point, you've got to do something to establish that run. And and it felt like it was never there. Like, the only real momentum you were getting was with Derek King and... Some of that was just kind of more ad lib. This play is breaking down. Absolutely. I'm going to go make something happen, rather than anything well designed.
0: And I think like because our wide receivers were... us like Miami wide receivers are not good. Uh, that's the weakest position group on our offense at the moment, and. If you are getting beaten one on one, you can just load the box and stop that run game, and that's exactly what they did. Um, credit to, to Clemson; they look the goods. I don't like after seeing Alabama look shaky, Georgia yet to play a four quarter game. Gee, Clemson are going to be tough to stop this year, so. Um, bit of a disappointing one. Hopefully, Miami get pit next week. Clemson are going to win next week. I don't know who they've got, but it's a win. Uh, UNC sort of control Virginia Tech, 56-45. to 45. Um, Sam Howe had his best game, I think, for the year. And as a result, the, t- the Tahiel offense looked really, really good for the most part. Um, we mentioned his name in the preview show, but Michael Carter was fantastic at that running back position. Uh, 17 for 214 yards and two touches for him. Hendon Hooker was back for Virginia Tech, and they got down big, and he led a third-quarter comeback for the Hokies, but, and they ended up going for two that they failed to do, so that would have put them within a field goal of UNC. Uh, at one point, it would have been 45, 40, 58 maybe. Uh, and unfortunately, from that point on, it was kind of curtains. It's, it's always hard to make big comebacks and then actually push on and get in front. The Hokies couldn't manage that. But UNC, again, putting up points.
1: Yep, they were impressive, probably more impressive than I've seen from them so far this year. They, they, they went large offensively on the back. Of, like the, the two running backs ran wild and that's uh, been a storyline for a little while for this team so I probably need to start paying them a little bit more respect on the back of this one Uh, and Virginia Tech can hold their heads high like they fought back in this one it would have been easy for them to just get absolutely pantsed and and blown out but they did fight back they they did make a match of it but um, not good enough in the end
0: Virginia go down to NC State thirty-eight to twenty-one. We have a big man touchdown. Alan McNeil scores on a pick-six from his defensive tackle position, wearing number twenty-nine, which is also sweet. Uh, but NC State controlled this one from the outset. I thought Virginia would NC State would have been anything but consistent. Um, but having said that, they're looking good. They, you know, back-to-back wins. Devin Leary was not good in this one and actually got outplayed. Virginia outgained NC State through the air, uh, well, through the air and uh, in total yards, but we continue to see that total yards is not a good predictor of, of winning games. Uh, and NC State come away again with a very, very comfortable win. And they look like they're a little bit of a tough, a tough out. They've got some, a little bit of something about them this year that, that's going to be a, a tough win for, for most teams.
1: Yeah, they are reverting back to that NC State of old. It it does look like last year was more the blip of the radar because before that they were always around the mark, always a a tough out for everyone that they played and and that seems to be more what we have in store this year from this Wolfpack side.
0: I said I don't know who Clemson are playing next week. I believe it is NC State. So they might come crashing down to earth here. But Clemson have probably got a tight one in them this year. It just wasn't this week. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Louisville on Saturday, or Friday here, 46-27. to The Jackets were down two TDs at half, and this is a team that hasn't really got an offense going. Um, but they're now 2-1 and one in the ACC, and I do not have a read on this team. They beat Florida State ugly, and now they go and take, make the most of a fumble-prone uh, Louisville team and score big and win. Louisville, on the other hand, who were my pre-season kind of keep an eye out for them, are 0-4 in conference. Sorry, 0-3 in conference, but they head to South Bend next week, are looking at 0-4 in conference for a team that was supposed to be, you know, a, a top 15 maybe, top 20 ranked team at the end of the year. One final thing, I know you've got some stuff to add on this one, but they have outgained... Both of their out of three of their conference games so far, they have outgained their opponents in two of those Miami and Georgia Tech. They just can't put enough points on the board or making errors, turnovers, blowing assignments. Uh, It's been a rough watch for Louisville.
1: Yeah, I've got nothing to add on that one,
0: (laughs) and some money on it pitfall to bc this was a really entertaining game as well zay flowers went off for boston college hauling in six for 162 and three touches but the story of this game has to be the kicking special teams guys so pit kicker kessman uh, he was 0 for 2 on field goals before hitting a 58-yarder to push the game to overtime, and then he missed the tying extra point in OT. And Pitt go down to Boston College, who are providing lots of entertainment
1: throughout the year. Yeah, they've obviously fucked up there on that extra point. They should have had the holder back 50 yards, (laughs) line up there, just make him, you know, snap the ball 50 yards, and then he'll bang it. He's automatic from 58. Fucking... Anyone can kick it from straight in front. Get him out deep, and that's where he's money. Unbelievable. Uh, Duke thirty-eight beat Syracuse twenty-four. And a, a
0: don't gamble on Duke because when you watch games like this, you're like, yeah, Duke are pretty solid. They will get smoked next week. But Chase Bryce was better again. Duke get the win. Uh, in the late game, Florida State had the lead early against Notre Dame, but the Irish pulled away in the second quarter and eventually run out winners 42-26. to 26. Anything on those, Will?
1: No, the ACC is kind of like the middle of the Big 12 as well. Just a lot of carnage in there. Yeah, Destruction
0: Derby style. Mm. Um, other games, we mentioned Houston as they beat Tulane in their first game of the year.
1: And BYU remain unbeaten I just getting a- just getting by utsa so yeah i mean it's a bit that, tighter
0: yeah credit to both teams utsa continuing to do some stuff go Roadrunners. yeah go Roadrunners. all right let's get to this week's rewind so many things there are so many things that i think that if you haven't seen much you should check out but it for me it has to be the four-play sequence to close out the lsu missouri game um, if, if you get to watch that whole drive, it would add a little bit more flair to it. It's even more interesting, particularly as they go pretty slow and Miles Brennan gently works his way down the field. But for me, that was the highlight.
1: Yeah, that was a cracker. Uh, I'm always a sucker for a big man touchdown. So my play is that NC State D lineman wearing whatever it was, 29. He's, he's, he was yeah. practically a DB with his gazelle-like uh, maneuverability out there. He, he literally made a, like a play on the ball. It got thrown, and it was, wasn't like a deflection that went up. Like He got after it, knocked it up, pulled it in, got around the tackle, walked in the end zone. What a play. Love it.
0: Yeah, never in any doubt either. It wasn't like, I'm going to just catch this and fall to the ground. He's like, I'm scoring here. I'm getting in. He, he can uh,
1: dunk. Like looking at that, I know that dude can <laughs> dunk without question.
0: <laughs> He's a big unit. All right, let's... Head into the Aussies in action. How did we go this week, Yeah, another, another
1: awesome one. I'll, I'll try and fly through this because we are dragging the chain a little bit today. But Max Duffy was a good again today. He did give up the only two points uh, that were conceded on the day by the Wildcats. No fault of his own. Snap went 30 yards over his head and out the back of the end zone for a safety Uh, But he had another eight punts at 44.9. Austin McNamara at uh, Texas Tech was good with six at 43.5. Ryan Buczewski was good and probably getting more airtime than you want from your punter. So (laughs) he had a couple of tackles on the day, which is never what you want. Uh, One of those tackles gave away the personal personal, uh, foul for kind of gloating a little bit on the hit. Don't be doing that. You're not going to be... Awfully popular with the coaching staff On the back of that But he did have a solid outing With Seven at uh, 43 He had one Look, blocked as well He did have one And good. that went in for a score Ugh, <laughs> uh. He's not getting the player of the week But hey <laughs> He's Name brand recognition There uh, yeah, Lucas Dean at UTSA was 545.2. Alex Mastromano had a 6 at 44, which is really good. Mm. And our player of the week, actually, was your boy out at Miami.
0: You've got
1: a good one there, Lou Headley. Yeah. Top numbers. So seven punts. He was a busy boy because your offense was doing fuck all. Uh, But (laughs) that was an average of 46.5. So he's been really good this year. He's genuinely put himself up there with the elite tier of punters at the college football level.
0: He conceded his first return yard this week, of which he is down... I think he's conceded one so far in the season now. Net of one return yard. So he has had a good season. Hopefully that can continue for the
1: Hurricanes. It might need to... Uh, Any helmet stickers to dish out that
0: we haven't already
1: touched on? Yeah, I'll be quick. Uh, You did mention if Najee Harris uh, didn't get one. Obviously, he has to get one. If he didn't in this uh, segment, it would have less credibility than my on-the-punt segment, so (laughs) I I don't want to put that in jeopardy. Uh, He had five touchdowns on the day to go with his two bills, so that's awesome. Uh, Michael Carter was the other man at UNC to rush for over 200 yards and two touchdowns, so... That's uh, an impressive effort. Uh, the, the duel that we had with Missouri and LSU were, were awesome. Both guys going over 400 yards and four touchdowns, Miles Brennan and Connor Bazelak. So I, I think we're going to hear his name a bit moving forward. I've, I've just got a feeling he could be a player, so get it there. I'm also going to dish one out to every member of the Texas A&M offensive line. I think they had a really, really good game today. And and that was hugely important for um, Kellen Mond and Isaiah Spiller. So Isaiah Spiller went for 174 yards and and scored a couple of times. And Kellen Mond, as you said, had all the time in the world to, to do his thing. So all of those big boys, enjoy a college football down under sticker for your helmet. There you go. All right,
0: bold prediction time. This is good gear. So I'll let you kick us off because you were cl- probably closer than me, I think. But yeah.
1: Yeah, the SEC refs not only screwed Arkansas, but they screwed me <laughs> and my my bold prediction bid. So I had uh, one of either Georgia or Florida to lose. So we obviously saw that with Florida going down. And then I had two of... Uh, Alabama, LSU, and Auburn going down. So we saw LSU lose. Alabama were kind of in a bit of a dogfight. Oh, yeah. uh, and then Auburn fucking very well should have lost. So I, I don't get to take home the points this week, but I was certainly on the money with the right sort of prediction in that the SEC is not exempt from all the chaos that we're seeing.
0: All right, and my uh I had two. I kind of had that bold prediction that some uh, some ranked would lose. So I had UNC to lose. They didn't. Of all the upsets, I didn't pick the right ones. <laughs> I had Auburn to lose. They didn't. I had... I steered away from the Florida game. I was like, nah, I don't want to borrow that one. I had Clemson, I think, in there. Not that I thought they would. Um, but either way, that one missed. The, only, the, the other one, my main one that I had was Spencer Rattler would get hooked after throwing um or turning the ball over which did happen or they were going to talk about tanner mordecai or something so that actually did happen so i was like yes tick part one and when i was putting this bold prediction together i was like oh i think texas are going to win so i'm going to say he'll go back in leader um a final drive and turn the ball over but i was also chucking up the idea of leading the team to a victory i went with the turnover one because i thought it would be Rarer, but it's clear that we saw him grow up today and he didn't do part two for me. He took care of the ball. He had good ball placement, made good decisions, looked calm and collected. And unfortunately for most haters of Oklahoma and also for my bold prediction, that means that they look like they've got a pretty good one as he's settled into his um, fledgling uh, campaign as, a, as an Oklahoma Sooner quarterback. Yeah,
1: and we were both close.
0: We were both close, which is nice. That never happens. Uh, okay, let's go on the punt, Will. I, I, this button is going to get plenty of work out this year, I think.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. So another week where I have gone after a sure thing and then also pick an upset another week where i've picked the upset get around me i think i'm four for four for, from four on my upsets uh, like uh at the just to win the, the money line there so that's a good effort i had kansas state to beat tcu i knew you were skeptical on that i figured it was going to be a line ball game it was going to be a bit weird and that's what it turned out to be like that pick six could have been the other team the way that game went so I was on the right side of it but I think there was a nine point line which was way too much so we made some good money on that we got five and a half units uh on that one which is good unfortunately I did have nine units on a Louisville team that I was certain could not lose uh I was not aware that they could not hold on to the football uh i like i was comfortable going into the half two scores up they were they were cruising wasn't a problem georgia tech were georgia tech terrible and then i went out and maybe this is my fault i went out i I was down at the shopping center here in adelaide and i'm trying to watch on my phone i had the horse racing going on as well because i'm a degenerate and all of a sudden things start to turn i get myself into dj's come out and they're bloody three scores down all of a sudden it's game over What what is going on so that one cost me nine units uh, so a, a weekly total of negative 3.6 for those playing along at home uh, so we are now back down to negative 12.6 on the yeah. Tough sledding, mate.
0: Uh, interesting. So you've picked the upset correctly four times. Have you picked? How often have you picked the sure thing correctly?
1: Well, to be, I picked Baylor against Houston when their game got called off, so I didn't get that one wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so every that's, other one you've got wrong. Ev- every other one has been <laughs> not correct. <laughs> that is actually hard. that's impossible
0: to do. Clearly. Um, But you've managed, so (laughs) that's pretty much the story of your gambling situation. Now, I haven't had a look at Week 7 games. I assume they're going to be entertaining. You mentioned the Georgia-Alabama game, so we're going to hit that in our Week 7 preview. It's Week 7 already. Um, but please make sure you do hit us up on Twitter on an Instagram and on Facebook as well at CFB down under um, starting to get this ball rolling as a few other sports die off we wish luck to the Tampa Bay Rays in their championship run against the Astros starting tomorrow so' we'll, you're a big you're a big Blake Snell fan up on the mound aren't you
1: I don't know what these words are that are coming out of your mouth
0: okay um what well, was a tough watching tom brady lose and not have any idea how many downs are in a football game watching miami get creamed i need something to come good for me here
1: i did appreciate the lunch today mate thanks for the pizza that was good no worries uh well that
0: brings us to the end of this week five week six recap uh thank you very much for joining us on behalf of that guy over there and for myself i will thank you again uh And my name's Aaron, Will, and we will see you next time. Slow on the outtake.